Welcome to Relational Mission, A Way of Life, a podcast series where we discuss what it means to be a family of churches on mission with God to be globally fruitful, crossing all boundaries to reach nations, make disciples and plant locally led churches. In this episode, we're discussing the book, Relational Mission, A Way of Life with the author, Mike Betts. Welcome to another Relational Mission podcast. This episode is part two of Raising Sons and Daughters, which is chapter four of Mike Betts' book, Relational Mission, A Way of Life. Following on from part one, we have our special guests with us again, Alice Watts and Anna Goodman. Alice is based in London, where she works as a musician. She also does freelance work for a charity which supports Palestinian refugees in the Middle East and she co-leads musicians at Revelation Church, where she serves as a deacon. Anna was born in Honduras, moved to Nepal, then Belgium, and then Barbados, but now she's in Cambridge, where she studied and obtained a PhD in neurodegenerative disease. She's also a co-author of several books on Christian faith and supports Daniel, her husband, who leads City Church in Cambridge. Now, if you haven't heard part one, I do recommend you go and hear that first. I hope you enjoy the show. All right, so Mike, I liked a bit in your book um, where you describe a piano teacher and their student and one playing the bass part and the other person playing the melody. That's great kind of um, analogy or, or picture of, of how we can grow and, and teach and build others up as sons and daughters. But what does that actually look like in reality in the church? Does that mean that if I want to be a teacher in the, in the church and do something at the front that... Um, I'm going to do a do a duet message on a Sunday with Adam on Zoom. How does that mean? What does it mean? Well, I think it is about the the picture is meant to describe process, and um, I think uh, it actually that picture actually came as a result of a prophetic picture that somebody gave me about someone I was particularly discipling at that time. And they said you're going to be working with this person like you're starting you you know starting off you're playing the whole thing. And they're going to come and sit next to you and you're going to give them the bass part or whatever. And then they're, and you're going to swap seats. They're going to do the, you know, the um, melody or whatever. And then the day will come when they, they just play the whole thing and you're just going to watch them. And then they're going to go and someone else is going to come and sit next to you. So it was, and repeat the, repeat the process. And that actually did happen with this person who's still, you know, was still very dear um, dear friends with each other. I feel I've spent a lot, I've poured everything that I have into this person's life. And uh, for me, if that person, to use the image, ends up playing the piano better than I do, then I'm happy. So I don't find that a threat. I actually enjoy that. I enjoy the fact, oh, wow, I can stand and listen to this. The fulfilment for me is hearing the... <laughs> Not like Malcolm and Wires, you know, the right notes, but not necessarily in the right order. But hearing hearing the 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 sense of no God has helped me get this person ready, so they can actually uh, carry the values, the, the 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 doctrine, the practice. They can lead now in a way that I feel that I've entrusted something, I've passed something on, 
that makes me feel I can almost like relax a bit and then go find someone else and do it again. So I think it is a process and, and, and you use all sorts of ways. Yeah, you can, I think I probably have. Um, when I've taken people with me, I've had people, you know, preach instead of me as well as me, alongside me, run the ministry time, do all sorts of things. And we've just got to be creative, really. But most of it, I think, is often when someone is, has got a bit of responsibility and they want to kind of come back to you more to question, this has happened, what do you think? They're not asking your permission. They just want to sound, they just want you to use you as a bit of a sounding board. I don't quite know. I don't quite know what to do about this. So to be on tap um, for people, I think really can be, you know, often the most useful thing you can do, that you're just there as a, as a bit of a sounding board as they start to develop and, and play, the, play the piano themselves. And Mike, in terms of discipling men and women, how far can they go? So in terms of um, restrictions and, and limitations, we'd say, well, there are none in theory. Everyone will go as far as the grace of God calls them. But, but I know within different church denominations and networks, there will be different views on um, things like whether women can preach or women can be an elder or women can be a priest. And sometimes it's easy to get lost in the terminology um, even to understand that can be complicated for people. But I know within our family of churches, we we have men that are elders. So some might see that as being a limitation, as in, well, what if a woman woman's got a sense of call to church leadership? We're not saying that being an elder is the same as being a leader. We're not saying that being an elder is the same as being able to bring the word of God. So what, what are we saying, just in case people are listening and, and wondering about that? I think this area is one that requires something more akin to a, a surgeon's scalpel than a, than a builder's hammer. Um, it requires nuance, careful wording, and thought-through application. And I personally think the whole debate in Christian circles, as with many other theological debates, is becoming quite tribal. So I don't even like the words complementarian and egalitarian particularly anymore, because firstly, they're not biblical words, they're not words that are in the Bible, they're theological constructs, and they tend to mean whatever the person who's using the word defines that meaning to be. And they can be very broad in application. So I think that's the first thing to say. So I try to avoid using theological shorthand for what I think is a, a really important, complex subject. I think the second thing to say is to recognise that in our family of churches within New Frontiers, within my own um, areas of you know, responsibility, I don't think we have always got it as well as we could have got it in terms of releasing both men and women, but particularly women. I think we have sometimes inherited practices that we haven't really then gone on to think through and to, to sort of really look at them. Now, I think that is changing. I suppose um, the other sort of background, sort of backdrop to this whole thing is if we if we think of the church as an organisation, uh, and it sort of calls to mind the same way as you would a business, 
then I think women or some men can feel uh, disenfranchised, um, restricted, unequal, because we're thinking in terms of some sort of hierarchy or some sort of promotional thing. Whereas actually, I think the Bible, particularly, well, not just particularly the New Testament, but throughout Scripture, um, Scripture talks about the church as a family. And if we talk about the church as a family rather than as a business or an organisation, I think it does take some of the heat out of the, uh, the areas of tension. Because I think that elders are men, not because they're more capable or because they've got better gifting or anything like that. Because, you know, I know women who are very good leaders. I know some women who are better at speaking or better leaders than I am. And, you know, men as well. I don't think it's about qualifications of of who's the best. I think it's about responsibility. Um, So, you know, the Bible says to me, Husbands, lay down your life for your wives, as Christ did for the church. Um, now, it doesn't tell wives to do the same for the husbands. There's a responsibility that, as a married man, I've got to, to give my life for the well-being of my wife, as Christ did. I'm to take that responsibility as a married man and live in the light of it. Now, I think the same thing is true of elders. We're, we're, it's men who God is giving a responsibility to. And so I want you to do that, to be fathers. Fathers nurture, protect, release, create safety, create a thriving atmosphere. A thrive. Fathers make sure the family can become all it's supposed to be. That's a father's role. Now, mothers do that as well. So Paul saying, Rufus, mother, mother to me. Yeah, we all need spiritual mothers as well. It's not one is better than the other. But in terms of eldership, I view that as a fatherly responsibility for the benefit of men and women, young and old, rather than an organisational organizational strategy. Now, personally, I think one of the areas where our practice has changed and is changing quite a lot is um, I think women can preach. I think women can do everything else. Men and women can do everything. Uh, they can do the same things as each other that elders, uh, that other than that are an exclusive responsibility of elders. Let's put it like that. So elders um, govern, they, they, they set the doctrine, they make sure that things are protected, they deal with church discipline and, and sort of overall governing of the church affairs. That's, that's their responsibility. But their responsibility is then to set the guidelines and then release everyone, men and women, now, within our own family of churches, some elderships have got different bandwidths on that. Some would have women preach, some wouldn't. We have to leave that to local elders to make that call. And I think even within what has become known as complementarianism, you get people like Tim Keller uh, and people like John Piper having different views on that. And I would be personally a bit more towards the Tim Keller approach where men and women can do anything other than that which is exclusively for elders. Whereas John Piper, I think, would would say women can't teach at all in the church. I, I personally think that's not quite where I would stand. So we've got to recognise as an apostolic family, there's a bandwidth. Different churches will have slightly different practice. That's up to local elderships to decide. But we, as an apostolic team, would give our thoughts on it and reflect, keep searching the scriptures to try and make sure our doctrine and our practice are as well aligned as they can be 
to what we think is a, is a diligent attempt to be biblical. Uh, and I think we are learning more about creating space for women to have more public and more um, leadership roles and more pioneering roles than perhaps they would have done 20 years ago within our own particular um, framework of New Frontiers or Relational Mission. But I'd be interested to hear what um, others think on that. Um, Mike, I, I um, just want to say that as someone who spent a bit of time with you, I, I really do, as a woman, feel that sort of um, encouragement and desire from you to want women to grow and flourish and thrive and so reflect that to you, that I, I notice that and observe that and appreciate that very, very much. Um, I think... In terms of what I've observed, um, I I would say that um, let's take the exploring eldership or whatever. If you see that there are certain people in your church who might want to become elders, um, in our church, for example, we call it exploring eldership. And a group of people who show leadership potential who might become elders one day are therefore selected and heavily invested in, given really good, sound teaching. And over a long period of time, they're just really, really um, well invested in. And they're told right at the beginning, some of you might not become elders. Um, but this is just, we see leadership potential in you. And so we just want to take you on that journey to help you see whether you think you're going to be an elder, um, help us see that as well. But uh, regardless of that, we just want to acknowledge that we see leadership potential and capability in you. I think what makes me sad when I've heard, overheard some of the teaching involved with this um, it's just how good it is, and as a woman who will also never become an elder one day, that we don't seem to have that level of really intense um, input and leadership um, sort of investment in the same way that people who could be one day elders would have. So I think that sort of just makes me a bit um, sad, and I think maybe there, there's room room for that. Yeah, I mean, those of you, those people who are listening to this podcast who are within positions of responsibilities to shape that, I think you've made a brilliant point. And I think I'm slightly disappointed to think, ah, we've got something a bit wrong there. We need to do better on this. Because it's not like we're saying there's a disagreement between who is supposed to be elders. It's saying, no, there's leaders that are men and women and they need just as much investment. And I think we, we've, we've not got that right, clearly, uh, in every situation. So I think a little bit more of creative work by eldership teams to actually think that we've got to really invest in developing leaders, full stop, men and women. Eldership is, is eldership, the nuances of eldership are, yeah, they're quite, they're quite, that's quite a small percentage of leadership, isn't it, really? I mean, there's a lot of other leadership roles that are open. So I, I, I hear you. I think you're right. Don't, don't quite know whether that's lack of capacity rather than lack of willpower or just missing scoring own goals or having some blind spots. I don't know. But it's a point well made. I guess um, that is a little opportunity to plug lead. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not um, 
quite as intense training as um, exploring elders would get, but I guess it does give an opportunity to men and women to grow in their leadership. Um, going back to your other point, so my experience is that the elders um, in our church have always been really encouraging and endorsing and even championing, championing if that's a word, um, in terms of giving me and other women in the church um, opportunities to grow in leadership. Um, so I've been really blessed in that sense and um, really released. And I, and I think particularly, I kind of, going back to what we were saying earlier, people have specifically called out gifts in me. People in leadership have called out gifts in me and said, you've been given this gift, you need to invest in it or you need to grow in it or you need to step out. I've even had experiences right at the beginning. Um, I think it's easier when you're a church plant. So I was there from day dot when we were a church plant and there was about 15 people and everyone has to lead in some capacity because you, you have to cover all the bases, don't you? Um, so that's definitely a good space to grow in leadership. But um, I've been I've had experiences where people would literally like poke me in the back and be like, you've got a song, bring it. And I was terrified, but it kind of just encouraging and endorsing people to step out and be courageous and grow in their giftings is is so valuable and I guess being in a church partner it gave me opportunities to build relationships and I guess your whole book is based on relationships and then being able to grow in leadership or grow in responsibility from a place of having a relationship and, and a level of trust um, with with women but I guess my question would be um, if there's women listening um, I mean, for me, I'd say just be present, be present as much as you can and be courageous. But what would you say to women who are looking to grow and to um, cre uh, create opportunities for them to grow in leadership? Well, I do think that because, you know, the, one of the reasons for doing this podcast is because I, wa I want to keep learning. I want to keep examining our structures and the things that we can do to try and facilitate a culture. I mean, the, the, the point of the Orange Book, as it's become known, was really as a bit of a manifesto, not so much a reflection on an achievement. It was it was about saying, this is where we want to go. This, this is what we want to develop. So as we've put effort into the enough prayer times, it's because we want to create a culture that wasn't there. The everyone a witness thing, we're now trying to create a culture of everybody sharing their faith through words, works and wonders. It's about cultural change within the church. So I think raising the spiritual sons and daughters is a similar journey. There's some good things we've got, but there are also some things where we've really got to get hold of some, um, some, some not just the vision but the, or the values, but the vehicles. How, how do we make this work better? So I, I would want, personally, I would want feedback. So we have a, 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 an email um, RM podcast, I think it is, at relationalmission.com. We, we want some feedback. Uh, it would help us to know how better to sort of teach, train and equip elders and churches on, on trying to create an environment that really does foster and nurture a culture. I think some churches would also be doing better than others at that. Um, and uh, so that, that is a, it is a varied sort of seen as I look out at it at the moment. Um, but I think that also I've, I've been grateful that a number of women within Relational Mission have been honest enough to feed back to me, not like I feel I'm being told off, but they've fed back to me constructive observation from their perspective. And it's really helped me to think, right, no, okay, 
I've got a bit of a blind spot here, or I've missed an opportunity, or I've really got to crack this in a way that makes it work better. And I think I still feel like I'm, on some matters, still in that formative stage where I think we can do better than we are, but I think the foundations we've got in place biblically are right. We've just got to develop our practice. It's interesting, though, also, I have had numbers of uh, egalitarian people in our midst who've been amongst us and actually say, actually, you've got more women involved than I have in my network and we're egalitarian. So it's almost like we've, we, I think we've tried to push the pendulum deliberately to, to try and do our best and be better with it in, in the better, you know, in the right context. But I think sometimes we've still got to, still got to, you know, being very intentional about it. And I feel I'm still learning, particularly how to disciple women well. I've had many years of discipling men. I feel I just need to learn more about how to create good contexts and conduits for women to come through into all that God wants them to be. Because if we're going to plant churches and really, really make a big impact in the way that we want to, it's going to take men and women uh, released in equal measure it just is we're just never going to do it without that and I think it's biblical not just not just um you know um necessary I think it's right that's how God intends it to be Mike do you think there needs to be any encouragement given to churches particularly eldership teams because although there's a bandwidth which, which is right, in other words, you know I take it you're meaning there's a sort of spectrum of views that are roughly in this area um, but there'll be some differences. But do you think there needs to be an encouragement to eldership teams to to create intentionally spaces where there are um, almost like the top influence is possible? So, for example, what I mean is if you've got, uh, say, an eldership team where they'll be slightly more conservative and so most of the decisions, uh, the preaching and that the influence is all being driven from within the eldership team, which is all male, and then you kind of, you're gleaning some information from some women in other settings, but it's all the work is done in the eldership team, whereas you could have another, another team where you've got women who are in the room. Well, I, I do think that without compromising elders' governmental responsibility because it's a responsibility not a not a sort of a there isn't a prescribed way of doing it in the bible it's just we're just told the sort of what what men carry as elders we're not we're not given any a, a sort of a through the keyhole look at what an elders meeting looked like so i do think there is scope for some creativity and i suppose i think to myself um i would want the most gifted people in that room to be helping shape things irrespective of whether they're men or women. I wouldn't genderize it. I would be thinking, who's got the greatest perspective in the church on these particular matters? And I think according to what you're discussing, according to the season you're in, you bring different people in. I wouldn't make it static. I would keep it quite free-flowing. Uh, not so it's like a bus and it's different people every week, but there might be a season of someone's involvement where they're really bringing their gift to bear, man or, man or woman, and then they might then make way for someone else. So you, you can't keep just adding more and more people into a room, otherwise it becomes a committee. But I do think that it's right. Who are the best people in terms of the grace of God on them, the calling of God on them to influence this 
this aspect of church life and help the elders, inform the elders, you know, educate the elders, give some insight to the elders on so that the elders can then create um, as godly and as a mature uh, um, structure or implementation of whatever God is saying that will benefit everyone. So, I, so I'd want to think like that. And I think whatever whatever bandwidth you're in within that sort of male eldership thing, you'd want it, surely you'd want to leverage your best gifts. Sometimes I think it's that we just we're just not creative enough. I don't think it's a gender issue. I think we just get stuck in a rut of having the same people in the room all the time because we forget to invite anyone else. It can be as simple as that. Yeah, and I think it's ironic. As, as you say, that in many of the churches, wouldn't just be in our uh, family of churches, that often there would be more women, that's the statistics, in the church. And secondly, that many of the women will be more or definitely as so on the front foot as all the men. So in terms of the obvious vocal ones, one people who speak out, pray out, who bring prophetic words, people that are that are buzzing with stuff that God's said to them and are wanting to read books and so on, there will be often more women in that category and, and, and sometimes the, the men will be more apathetic. These are big generalisations, but if you had to sort of create a percentage, you'd say that the men will be often hanging back, but yet it's the men, as has been said, who are pulled through into some of these groups where they're intensely invested in. So whether that's what, maybe that's why, you know, the men need investing in because strangely they're, they're often apathetic. That's the danger. But yet we don't want to invest in men to the exclusion of women that are, are really on the front foot. Yeah, well, uh, you know, come back to the chapter title. It is, you know, raising spiritual sons and daughters. So pose the hand as far as I'm concerned yeah we've got um <clears throat> women as deacons in our church so that gives us an opportunity to kind of be in the same room as elders inputting into big things which is good and i think that is that, that actually is quite a crucial point because in our history of churchmanship uh we often when new frontiers and a lot of churches were planted in that in those sort of early years we did tend to react against the diaconate, which was usually the sort of um, veto organisation that stopped any progress. And so you, when you came, when you sort of came out of that, and we believed in a plurality of elders rather than the pastor, and then a board of deacons, and the pastor would want to take the church somewhere, and the deacons would block him at every turn. We thought we'd just completely dismantle that. So it was a team of male elders making collective decisions. So what happens is you you know what you, the pendulum swings to a certain truth that's important to really embed in church life, but it made everybody nervous about deacons. But deacons are a biblical church office, men and women. Uh, they're they're carriers of uh, of real responsibility in the local church. And I think what Alice is picking up there is has got to be restored to the church, and I think it would make a massive difference actually to the whole issue of men and women and leadership in the church to actually name it and claim it, if I can use that in this particular thing. Deacons need to be biblically um, defined and restored and released into church life. It's a bit like the Reformation when, you know, everything that was lost to the sort of Catholic church and all the sort of the loss of, you know, salvation by faith alone, when it all swung back, back and we ended up with, 
you know, the primacy of the word of God being on the pulpit with eagle's wings and all the rest of it, which, is, you know, we understand why, because it was the centrality of God's word. But what that tended to do is then it, it can mitigate against when you come together, each one has, because it's a central thing. It's the one person in the pulpit with the word of God preaching in response to the fact that the word was hidden from everybody through all the, you know, the, 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 the distortion of Catholic doctrine. So everything swings a certain way and then you lose something else that you then have to, you know, make adjustments to. Um, Mike, my understanding is that um, while some of us might um, have roles as uh, spiritual mothers and fathers, we are also still sons and daughters pretty much our whole life. Is that is that how it is for you? Is that, is that your perspective as well? And is that what you believe the book is trying to um, help people to understand? Yeah, I hope I hope so. I hope that's what it comes over because I, you know, I I think one of, one of the greatest things, privileges I I feel my greatest calling, my greatest desire for calling is to be a father in God. That's what I've always wanted to be. Strangely enough, I I don't really mind whether people call me you know apostle, pastor, elder. Well, yeah, those some of those things may or may not be the case. I've wanted to be a father, a, a, a spiritual father. That's what I've always, um, because Paul said there's not many fathers, and yet they're the they're the they're the gift that if it's missing, the the the, the texture of things is is always badly affected if fathers and mothers are missing uh, from local church and individual people's lives. So I still have fathers who speak into my life. Less of them now, because obviously most of them are older than me and they've gone home, they've gone to glory, and I miss them dearly. But some are still hanging on and doing well, and they still speak into my life. And I, I, want, I perceive the day will hopefully be the case that however old I get, there will still be some fathers and mothers who still speak into my life, because I need them. Fathers need fathers, mothers need mothers. So I don't think you outgrow that. I think the wisdom of someone a little bit further ahead than you a little bit more life experience, a little bit more journey on, you know, miles on the clock in terms of journey with God. Uh, that That's priceless. Uh, if they, if you know they're for you and they're really trying to help you. Mike, can, can I ask a question about looking to the future? Um, I know that you have amongst, along with other people, being prayerfully and um, praying for revival. Um, so my question is sort of the anticipated but beautiful challenge of when this time comes, which I believe it will come, is sort of how do we effectively look after so many new children in the church without them becoming orphans? What does that kind of culture look like where no one gets lost in sort of the sea and the mass of many people coming to know Jesus? Can I add to that question, Anna, as well? Um and what happens if you have like an imbalance of mothers and fathers? How does that affect it? What, like more of one voice than another, purely because that's all that's available? Yeah, let's just say there's a large community of um, elderly women, for example, that are all kind of part of a big community church. And there's like three men. <laughs> and then suddenly there's all these youth come into the church. Gosh, um... I think the first question about revival, what, one of the things I observe happening is that um, some cultures 
where the church is growing at a pace, particularly the global south, the global east, um, places that can't even be named on a podcast because they're places of great persecution, but places where I, God has uh, given me and numbers of others real growing friendships and partnerships, actually, in the gospel. And I feel I'm learning huge amounts from some of these incredible men and women, incredible people who are way ahead of some, some of the things we are experiencing in the West, not only in what God is doing, but how they're then stewarding what God is doing. And I do think that the whole, what's become known as the disciple-making movement, which is much more intentional, systematised and thorough in helping each person take responsibility for their own spiritual growth. I think there is a lot to commend that. Now, we've tried in many, many, many times things like Cell Church, G12, all sorts of things have come from, often from Asia into the West, and they've, they've not always worked very well because it's like trying to overlay something of, a, of an Eastern mindset on a Western culture, which has often not, not worked well. I think some of the principles of what I'm seeing in what I would call disciple-making movements are broad enough culturally to be applied both in Eastern, Western, Southern, Northern, whatever. They're, they're broad enough to be contextualised into whatever culture the church is in. And I think it's a bit like comparing sort of Whitfield and Wesley. I mean, Whitfield was a phenomenal preacher, saw thousands and thousands of people come to Christ, but didn't have a system. Wesley, also a remarkable preacher, but he had a system. It became Methodism. It was, there was a method. There was a the Bible class, there was, a, there was an accountable group. Everyone was put in groups, a bit like Jesus feeding the 5,000. Sit them all in groups. There was, there, there was something, there was a system to facilitate the miracle. And I think we have to become more intentional about that discipleship end of things if, when God does sweep through in mass powers, I believe he will, if it's not to, if it, if we don't want it to be a flash flood, but we want it to be a bit like when you go to the Netherlands, you see they've dug ditches everywhere to, to manage the water so it doesn't just flood everything. You, 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 can, you can build things, you can engineer things in such a way you don't lose the or, or have adversely affecting you the force of, of, of a move of God. So I think there's some things to learn there, and I'm certainly trying to learn a lot. And I think within relational mission, where there's a lot of really good experiments going on and, 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 and good practice and good, good models and materials coming through. I, I think that's going to serve us well. And I, I wonder, actually, I mean, we're recording this in the middle of, you know, coronavirus pandemic. I think the scattering of the church and the forcing of people to have to dig deep in God personally so they've got no one, you can't gather and be taught and then go away and then, you know, it's, it's just not happening. So now it's about us having to dig deep personally with God, to, to go and find water ourselves. And also in little twos and threes, running partners or little cell groups, life groups, whatever you want to call them, that smaller, more flexible, COVID-friendly meeting size group, as well as the individual lockdown I think there's an opportunity here. Not, I don't see this as a threat to the church. I see it as an opportunity for the church to really, really 
dig into personal responsibility in a new way, as the scattered church did in Acts chapter 8, after Stephen was, was martyred. They were scattered. It took 10 years before Antioch emerged um, publicly in Acts 11. That was a 10-year journey. Now, I'm not saying COVID will last 10 years, but what if it did? See, what if it did? It shouldn't stop the church from thriving in affliction uh, or adversity because the church thrived and popped up in Antioch more powerful and more profound than it was even in Jerusalem before Stephen was martyred. So there's an opportunity here that we all need to, you know, I'm having to dig into God personally, probably everyone on this podcast, we're all having to dig in uh, and, and get our nourishment from smaller connections, smaller groups of people than we have hitherto. So are you saying, Mike, that it's kind of like teaching that the, the responsibility really for someone's, you know, growth and, and not backsliding per se um, or falling off the wagon, you know, is personal responsibility. You know, it can't just be left to the mothers and the fathers of the church to, if there's, a, if there's just so many people coming into the church, it can't just be left to them, but, but they can then teach about personal responsibility. And that's a really good way to, to help the sons and daughters that are coming in. Yes, I think it's both and, isn't it? You want, you want to be, you know, fathered and mothered and know that someone's got, got you if you slip, because we all have, we all slip, we all get it wrong and we need someone to pick us up. We all need that. The one anothering verses are there for a reason. There's an abundance of them. We can't make it on our own. So some people say, oh, I don't need church anymore. I just do it all on my own. I just watch it on YouTube. No, that isn't going to work. You're, you won't last. You won't last the distance. We do need each other. But it, this, in this season, I think the, 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 the pendulum push is to actually say, goodness, what if I can't go to church? What if I can't do my normal routines? Am, am I, am I going to still grow in God? Think, oh, I better start reading my Bible a bit more. I better start praying a bit more. I better, perhaps I better start sharing my faith. Perhaps I better join a small group. There's actually a bit of a, a push that I think in the West we probably have needed a little bit so we don't just get a little passive. Um, so it's both and. I, w- I wouldn't want to say it's just down to the individual. It's, it's, it's both and. Yeah, I understand that. But is there a sort of a point where you kind of have to let go because it, it, it's not you, it's them kind of thing, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think the the, the prodigal son and, the, and the, the father, that's there's such a beautiful story because the father never stopped looking. You know, he never stopped looking, just longing, perhaps today, perhaps today. So if people... You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, you know, there's a fringe on the church at the moment and we're losing lots of people on the fringe. And if they go, well, let them. we just got the solid core left. That's not a father's heart. That's, that's I don't even know what that is. It's not biblical. It's, it's seeing people just like, I don't know, numbers and if they please you, well, we'll keep them. If they don't please you, well, we're not really that bothered. We've got their core. No, that's not a father's heart or a mother's heart. Prodigal son... His father saw him a long way off, a long way off. Why? Because he was looking for him. He never, never lost, his love never depleted for the one who'd, you know, for a season was distant. And, and, and because I believe in the sovereignty of God, I do believe he who's begun a good work in you will carry it through. So even people that wander off for a while, they will come back. They will come back. And we often say, you know, to mums and dads and 
you know, grandparents and that, look, if you've got sons, daughters, grandchildren who seem to be nowhere with God at the moment, pray because they will come. If God's started a work in them, they, they will come back. You know, you can't outrun God. Um, you might wander for a while, but you will come back. He will, he will get you <laughs> because if he started the work, he will complete it. So I tend to want to try and live like a father looking out onto the horizon. Even I can think, even though I'm talking now of people who have, you know, I love dearly who've wandered off. But I hope one day I'll look at that horizon and I'll be seeing them coming from afar off and run and greet them. You know, I think that's that's what fathers and mothers do. Um, going back, um, Isaac, to the point that you made about either having... Too, uh, not too many, that's not such thing, but having a lot of mothers or a lot of fathers, or for example, if you're a very young church and you don't have very many mothers or fathers at all, would you say, Mike, it's a good thing to look wider within our sphere into other churches that maybe there might be other churches within the sphere that have a lot more mothers or a lot more fathers who are a lot more experienced as Christians to look for kind of mentors outside of your immediate church? Yes, absolutely. And I think we are quite blessed as a family of churches to have what we are calling the servants of the church is sort of what we might say mostly a lot of itinerant availability. Men and women that are a little bit older, got a lot of experience, who just love to be invited into churches just to be a blessing. Uh, I think that is just a, a resource to be used most definitely. And uh, and even, you know, bring people in from not within our own ranks, you know, it's sometimes great to bring a flavour in from from a different network or a different family because uh, you kind of get that, you know, you get a bit of cross-pollination. So not that you're asking them to then, you know, be apostolic to the church, but you're saying, can you just come and bring us some of your flavour so that we can we can get the benefit of the grace that God's given you? So we don't want it all to just to be closed in on ourselves. I don't, I don't think that's healthy. We wanna, you know, I've been tremendously blessed by having input from different, people from different streams and, and, and networks and organisations or whatever, denominations. But I do think within RM we have got a, we're very rich, we've got a very rich vein of men and women who've been around from the early days even of New Frontiers who are just so, their, their wisdom, their encouragement is worth its weight in gold. Mike, I, I hope I haven't come off too strong. I feel like bad that I've just... <laughs> Crikey, neither of neither you nor Alice are, are, are come off strong. I'll tell you, I, I've had strong. <laughs> you're, 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 you're just what I want to hear because you're challenging in a good way that's not coming across as critical. It's actually saying, no, there's some things we can do better. That's, that's actually what I want people to get from this, to think we're trying to... We're trying to navigate our way into a better future within some solid convictions biblically that we're not we're not tampering with those but we have got still a journey to go as to how to create a culture so I think everything both of you have said really is very provocatively helpful so gosh no not I thought uh, the same actually I, th I thought my first answer maybe was a bit too provocative no be no you need to you can both be a bit more edgy and that'd be fine <laughs> and Adam Adam's been edgy <laughs> So if you were to describe today's podcast as a Nando's flavour, it might be medium hot, Mike. What do you think? <laughs> it's not a hot piri-piri, no. No, no. Medium. <laughs> medium, yeah, it's a medium. It's a hard sort of 
balance to strike between being very supportive and we're all together um, versus being just we're all having a debate if anything goes and and yeah. yet making it constructive because if you don't cover the the sort of things some people might be thinking then you've you've sort of you people think you're fudging it don't they yeah whereas no, I, if we're here just debating everything then it's like you don't no one knows where they're at no i mean if there's still a question um that you think is a little bit more edgy that that <laughs> we haven't covered do it um because you know that's fine i don't have an edgy question but i did have a question about the book where you talk about gifts um <laughs> So you, you mentioned there's three different types of gifts and you, you say the first one's based on 1 Corinthians 12, on gifts that we've received from God. Um, so you talk about healing, prophecy, faith. And then the last point, you say gifts can be people, um, which I totally understand. But the second point I really got lost on because you say some people are... Um, given gifts and that also is can be prophecy and faith so I couldn't distinguish between your first and your second point yeah I think the point I was trying to make I mean it's a it is a I think when Paul writes in Corinthians he does overlap quite a lot in a number of ways so it's quite it's also sometimes tricky to pull it apart because in other verses he talks about are all apostles do all speak in tongues you think, well that's a pretty of a big bandwidth to be sort of <laughs> Putting those two things together, so I think that's a, it's quite a, yeah, that's a subject of another another podcast or two. I think the point I was trying to make was that um, there there are gifts um, that we receive, tongues, prophecy, whatever. They're not things we're born with. They're they're, they're supernatural empowerments. There are gifts that we are. That's what I was trying to make with that. Some are leaders, some have gifts of mercy, some are administration, gifted, all those sorts of things, which within that list in Romans 12, that, that, that does cover that. I think, uh, putting aside the prophet one, that's a slightly nuanced one. I won't go there for now. I mean, then the third category is gifts that some people become, like apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist. And the point I was trying to make, I think, was that... Um, all gifting isn't isn't all the same. It's um, and particularly the gift the gifts that some people become. For me, it's about trying to look at a person's life and think, now, what what is it in you that you that God it wants to make you into? I think that's probably where I was coming from um, in that in that part of the book. Okay. I don't know if that answers the question or not. <clears throat> Yeah, I think so. Thanks. Can I, can I just um, ask a question, which I think is just sort of trying to clarify what I think you're saying. Um, and this goes, touches on a little bit with what you say about Nelson's table. Um, in terms of the role of elders and what influence or, or voice women can have in connection with that, um, you know, in, in our family, if we are going to make any decision, we get all of the family together, we all sit around the table, young and old, um, and everyone has a voice, everyone is listened to, everyone is heard. Um, and then hopefully, you know, we, we all come to a decision, but if not, then Daniel, who is the head of the house, he will make the ultimate um, decision if necessary, because he's the head of the house. 
Um, so would you say that um, in, in a church setting that women can be invited to the table, as it were, have their voices heard, um, and that includes in elders' meetings, but ultimately they take responsibility, but we're still... Your, your heart is still to include women in sitting at that table, um, having a voice and being heard in. Most definitely. Yeah, most definitely. And I, I think that's where our aspirations and our practice probably need to catch that the aspiration, the practice needs to catch up with the aspirations. I, I particularly like the, the Nelson's table image, although obviously it was a military and it was all men, but the actual thought of a relational context where people are kind of eating together, discussing together. It's very relational, but it's got a strategic purpose behind it. Uh, I, I just love that thought. I think that's an amazing, just beautiful model to, well, Jesus did it as well. They were always eating, weren't they? I mean, I know he had 12 men who were apostles, but I think the principle um, when you think of Paul's list in Romans 16 of all, you know, the people who'd worked hard with him, you know, for the churches, they were men and women. There were certainly contexts of men and women together. And so, I, you know, a big yes to what you're saying. I, I think we've just got to be a bit more creative and thoughtful and proactive in involving the best gifted people, whether they're men or women, um, around a table. And elders then you know, ultimately carry the responsibility, but they don't want to be... If elders are coming up with all the strategy and all the ideas, that's a very narrow bandwidth of gifting to be leading a church with, would be my, my reflection. And I don't think that's what eldership is about. You know, super, so a group of super people who can answer every question. No, they're, they're fathers who are stewarding the gifting that's in there, in in the, the midst of the congregation. They're, they're there to steward and encourage and 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 they're to they're to be um mining for it you know looking for it bringing it to the table it's it's a proactive role not a well we'll pass it to the elders and they'll think about it i i think that's a that's a dynamic that doesn't always serve the church as well i find that very helpful because um you're saying again you're emphasizing the point that what you want is gifted people to have a voice and not tokenism because what we don't want yes. is women to be involved just because they're women because that's not going to serve anyone is it so no exactly so if if it happened to be the case that on a particular subject the room was all men i don't want to feel guilty about that because I wanted to get the best people for that particular issue in the room. It might be that it's all women the next week. I don't want to feel guilty for that. <laughs> it's just, you know, almost the gender thing. You can't ignore it any more than you can the whole race thing that's going, you know, understandably and correctly being challenged at the moment. We've got to think... We've got to think around our blind spots and around our, you know, privilege and all the rest of it. But it doesn't mean that we treat people, as you say, like tokens, because uh, I think that's patronising. I, I don't want that. I want, I want some reality of, of, of uh, giftedness and people being there because they should be there, whether they're men, women, or whatever um, ethnicity they are. That's secondary, really. I think that's a really good point to end on. A um, really amazing um, clarification there, Mike, um, and really, really great 
questions, um, everybody who's been involved on the show. Thank you so much, Anna especially, and Alice, because you've been guests on the show this week and it's been fantastic to have you on. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having us. It's been a, um, a joy to be at the table, as it were, having this discussion with you guys. I really do want to thank you, Mike, um, and everyone else for just giving us this opportunity to ask questions, uh, to give us a voice, um, to let us feel heard, um, and just to really clarify um, certain matters that we've have been on my heart particularly. Well, I think I'll take away from it some real helpful insights, to be honest. And uh, you know, as I say, it, this is an aspiration for a cultural development, not, not an event or something we're reflecting on basking in our own glory. I think we've got a lot to learn, a lot of things God wants to teach us. And, you know, for me, the multiplication of spiritual sons and daughters in the nations is the that's that's the sort of zenith of any ministry as far as I'm concerned so anything I can learn about how to do that better and how we can do that better as a family of churches that's got to be good so really helpful insights from everyone today certainly has been insightful so thanks again Mike and Adam as well thank you I've enjoyed it it's been great appreciate you coming in Thanks, Isaac. Been an absolute pleasure. Till next time. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Do get in touch and connect with us via Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at RM Churches. For more information, you can also go to the website www.relationalmission.org.